Welcome to The Cap, where we are here to speak with college reps and other professionals in the field of college admissions to help answer all your questions and guide you through every step of the process. So if you're serious about college admissions, you've come to the right place. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Durante. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students and parents, so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you apply to a particular school being highlighted in a given episode, you should listen to all of them, as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Don't forget to visit our website, www.collegeadmissionstalk.com, or the show notes of each episode to access the alphabetical list of all the colleges available with the related audio link to the right of each school. The alphabetical list provides you with on-demand access to all of the episodes so that you may listen whenever you wish. And if you want to receive links to episodes before they are released on the podcast, along with other related resources, please fill out the email opt-in form also available on our website and in the show notes of each episode. Lastly, please email me with any questions or comments at collegeadmissionstalk at gmail.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today Michael Cameron, who's the Director of Admissions at the Rhode Island School of Design, also known as RISD. Michael, thank you so much for being here today. We truly appreciate it. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much, John. Very happy to be here and share the good word of RISD. Well, we are very happy to have you, and we're looking forward to hearing about all the great things that RISD has to offer. So let me start, Michael, by asking you, when you think of RISD, what are the three words that come to mind in terms of the school's culture, and can you explain why? Absolutely. It's uh, always a tricky task to sum up any college in three words, but I did some reflecting on that, and I think if I would... Uh, narrow it down to those three, I would start with one experimental. Um, experimental is very much a part of the student experience here in, in certain ways. And that starts even with your first year in what we call experimental and foundation studies. And so really students here are, uh, they're challenged to shift their entire perception of process, what it means to make, to be a maker, to creative problem solve. And and you'll experience that throughout your entire time at RISD. Uh, I think one of the, uh, someone said to me once, RISD is not a finishing school or not a portfolio school. And so what we mean by that is that, you know, you don't really come here to just button up a perfect polished portfolio and then use that to get a job on the other side. Of course, that is part of the process of being a student, but what's more important here is discovering who you are as an artist. And so it takes a lot of experimentation to get to that point. Um, I would also say uh, the second word would be critical. And that is because critique is a huge part of being an artist and certainly being a student. Because in critique, which you know is one of the most 
I would say, emotionally challenging experiences because you're defending your creative choices. Oftentimes you're you know, sharing so much of what went into your making, sometimes very personal. Um, you know, people are going to be commenting on that, things that, that you have very personal to you. And so, uh, but, but at the end of the day, the critique is about you know, highlighting the parts that aren't working or the parts that are, and then refining and refining. So I think students at RISD are very good at uh, creating a culture of critique, but with the best intentions, because um, it really pushes you to develop as an artist. And I would say the last word is uh, collegiate. And I, I feel like that might be uh, one that you might not expect, but more, it's it's wild to me how often I communicate with someone and they say, well, what like what is art school? What do you actually do? And so <laughs> I, you know, I really drive home that, you know, this is a college environment. You are studying a rigorous liberal arts curriculum in conjunction with your studio learning, your challenge to think, to do research, to develop as a person and uh, as an artist. So I would probably use those three words. Well, thank you so much for sharing once again, experimental, critical, and collegiate. And we appreciate, Michael, the in-depth explanation of each. That's terrific. I was also curious, what are some of the other things that you personally love about RISD that makes it so appealing for so many students to want to apply and ultimately attend? Yeah, well, I would say that ultimately, you know, the fact that we are an art and design institution that offers exclusively programs in art and design and some liberal arts programs at the graduate level, um, the entire student experience is surrounded by the arts. So the students with whom you study are artists and designers. The career center is, ex is dedicated to artists and designers. The library has the largest collection in the United States of books surrounding art, architecture, design, photography. And so you just, I think that's one thing that really makes it appealing to study within the context of an art and design institution. And maybe as opposed to studying at a college that has an art program. Um, I think one of the other resources that really makes RISD not only appealing, but I think really an amazing place to study is our partnership with Brown University. Uh, actually, I'm in Providence now. I can see Brown's campus from my office window. <laughs> and and so our students, uh, both students at Brown and students at RISD can benefit from open cross-registration, shared resources like the athletic facilities, research libraries, clubs, organizations. And so there's a really great partnership uh, that happens between RISD and Brown. Well, we appreciate that, Michael. And I also know, as you mentioned, that RISD does have that wonderful dual degree program with Brown University, again, whereby students from each school may take courses at the other. Is there a separate application to do so? And how does that partnership work, Michael? Great question. So there are two different ways that students can engage between both institutions. Um, the first one that I was just rec recently referencing is cross-registration. There are no applications required. You work with the advising uh, offices at each institution, and they'll work to get you into the courses that will seamlessly transition back to your degree progression at your home institution. As you mentioned, we also have a dual degree program that is 
a program that students must apply to at the time of freshman admission. So I think it's important to note that you can't transfer into this program. You'll utilize the common application, which both Brown and RISD use. And within our supplemental questions, it'll ask you if you're interested in being considered for the Brown RISD dual degree. You'll select yes, and then it will prompt you to submit one additional written essay that talks about why that program makes sense for you. And so we're actually at a point right now where Brown and RISD are starting to communicate with each other to see who applied to both institutions, who applied to the dual degree, and who are most competitive for admission. And so those students will then go through another round of selection and be admitted directly into that program. Well, it must be terrific to have yet another highly academic school right in your backyard. I'm sure that that adds a lot to the social life, which leads me to my next question, Michael. What can you tell us about the social life at RISD? Many students, of course, want to hear about the social opportunities on and off campus. So whatever insight that you can share would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, I think there's no better way to get a sense of the social involvement of RISD students than to see the beautifully designed posters that hang all (laughs) over campus. And so my, you know, we have 50 clubs or organizations. It's very easy to establish your own and get funding. We even have collegiate sports, which I think is another area that (laughs) folks might not think a place like RISD would have, but we do. Um, But I think when I look at those posters, what I see are students who are definitely concerned with uh, social equity and inclusion We see a lot of affinity groups, Black artists and designers. We see uh, students that really want to bring a voice to something political or something that's happening in the world or around them. There are tons of exhibitions. And so we see lots of announcements uh, surrounding that. But I, again, we have this partnership with Brown. And so you'll also find that many of our clubs and organizations overlap. So Better World by Design is a Brown RISD collaborative that uses design engineering uh, to advance sort of innovation in different areas. And that's just one of many examples where you'll see this collaboration between the two institutions. Well, we really appreciate that. Thank you so much for the explanation. I want to get back to the application process at RISD. One of the differences in applying to a school like RISD, which of course is an art and design school, you've already mentioned that, is that students must submit a portfolio as part of their overall application. So Michael, how do you assess a student's portfolio and how much importance is put on the portfolio as part of your overall process? That's a great question, John, and one that we get often. The portfolio really is given the most weight in your your review as a as a candidate for admission, and it's uh, you know for for various reasons. Of course, when you come to a place like RISD, that sort of that both commitment to making as well as your conceptual and technical skill are really important to your success as a student. We've done tons of research on that. We know that students who perform well in that assessment of the visual portfolio persist and do very well as students here. So when we're looking at a portfolio, we're asking students to submit 12 to 20 images of what they consider to be their best work, most representative of who they are as an artist or designer. And uh, that really gives us a sense of who they are. I like to think of it somewhat of a visual resume that we're looking at. 
And so, uh, you know, when we're looking at that, we usually break it down into different categories. We'll be looking at a student's or an artist's strength in drawing, other areas of 2D work, three-dimensional work. Uh, going back to that idea of experiment, uh, experimental, we're looking at risk and innovation to see if students are creating with unconventional materials or really getting out of their comfort zone to try something new. And finally, I would probably just end by answering what I think is one of the most common questions we get. Would you rather see someone who's really conceptual or someone who's really technically sound? And the answer is really that it's got to find some balance in the middle. We believe that there needs to be some base of technical skill in order to communicate those concepts effectively. And so when the two come together and we're getting a sense of sort of the intentionality behind the work, what the student is trying to show us, who they are as an artist, that's when it really comes together and stands out in our process. Well, Michael, we really appreciate that insight and also the fact that you mentioned that the portfolio is, in fact, the most weighted piece of your application at RISD. I appreciate you mentioning 12 to 20 images and you're looking at different strengths with 2D images, 3D images, and many other things that you mentioned. But I was curious, Michael, can you give us any additional insight in terms of how students should approach the development of their portfolio? And does that change based on their intended major? Great question. So when we're looking at the development of a portfolio, ultimately, I think it's helpful for first-year applicants to know that when we're reviewing your portfolio, we're really looking at it in the context of entering your entire first year of study, which we call experimental and foundation studies. It's a, an ex, it's a full year of studio-based learning that's not specific to a major. And even though we do ask students to let us know what major they might choose, they're not bound to that. You'll ultimately declare a major at the end of your first year. And interestingly, 75% of applicants will declare a major different from that which they included in their application. And that's largely due to experimental and foundation studies, which, which opens students to so many different areas of, of art and design. So when, when a student's developing their portfolio, the first thing that I would recommend is really dig deep into personal reflection. What influence do you want to have with your art? And or, or what is, you know, what area of art is is most compelling to you? So just make sure that the work that you include in your portfolio speaks to that. We want to see those nuanced perspectives, the, the things that really excite you and the things that drive you to make. And so I understand that we may have applicants that are interested in photography. And we might have applicants that are interested in architecture, where their portfolio might start to develop a more, a greater focus than what you might find from somebody who maybe is interested in painting or illustration. And there's nothing wrong with that. We certainly welcome that. And many of those applicants are successful with their portfolios in our review process. But what, what I really encourage is let us get to know who you are. You want to stand out with your portfolio just as much as you want to stand out with the rest of your application. And so if you find that as you're curating your 12 to 20 images, you largely have assignments that you were given in, in school, and maybe they speak to who you are because you had some creative freedom to tailor them more personally. But 
maybe you reflect on those and say, maybe this just isn't entirely what I want to do with art and design. So go try to create, recreate those using a different type of material. If your portfolio is exclusively photo-based, how can you then push the boundary of what it means to be a photographer? Can you transfer photographs, project light through them, project them in space, add sound, and see if you can create a different uh, experience for your viewer through your work? Sometimes those experimental pieces in the portfolio that maybe aren't the most technically sound, but show us that this artist is really thinking differently and willing to take risks goes a long way. So again, I think I'm, I'm kind of going off on a bit of a tangent here, but as you're starting your portfolio, you know, again, self-reflection, look at your sketchbook. If you don't have a sketchbook, please grab one, draw, write, reflect on that and start to develop those trends and make sure that the work that you ultimately select gives us insight into who you are. Well, Michael, those are tremendous pieces of advice and great insight for any student that is looking to develop a portfolio and apply to RISD. We really appreciate that. And I want you to know that I always put the Office of Undergraduate Admissions in the podcast episode show notes. If there are any other links that you want to include and make available to the students and their parents, just send them to me. And of course, they'll be available in the show notes. Thank you so much for that, Michael. We really appreciate it. I was also curious, going back to your overall process, with the increase in schools going test optional and the ease with which to apply to multiple schools, thanks to things like the Common App, schools are receiving far more applications than ever before. So, Michael, how do you determine the number of applicants to accept, waitlist, and even deny when you receive far more applications than seats available? Yeah, it is. I will say it is one of the most challenging parts of the work that we do. It's also one of the most rewarding. It is it is a, such an honor to share in the story of so many applicants. And to your point, I think I was just reading an, an article that the Common App saw a 20% increase in activity this year in, in college applications yes. submitted. And RISD is certainly uh, no different. We actually had a 33% increase in applications this year, which Wow. is remarkable and further made it challenging to identify those that are what we consider to be the best fit. So I would say that, um, you know, we know that we've already mentioned the portfolio carries significant weight, and that really is one of the, the areas that we'll pay the most attention to. But the reality is just looking at the strength of portfolios alone, we could fill our class three times over. And so it's really goes back to that H word that I know nobody loves to, to hear, which is holistic. Um, <laughs> I like to say human in that we're looking at so much more than just your portfolio to ultimately narrow down the students that we admit. Um, and so, you know, it, this is stuff that maybe isn't as relevant or exciting to hear about, but we do a lot of modeling. We need to first, I mean, that at the very basic level, going to admission 101 is we know that not every student we admit will ultimately matriculate, but how many do we think we need to admit to ultimately make our class? And this year we're looking to bring in about 500 new incoming students. And so, um, so then we'll determine that number and then we go in and then we start identifying the very best. So our review process consists of two reviews for most applicants. So the first review will take place with a staff member who will assess the artistic portfolio uh, or the profile, 
the academic profile and the overall profile, which will encompass everything from the visual, personal, academic, and then provide a rating factoring in everything that we learned through the application. And then the strongest students will then go on to a cohort of 21 faculty members. So faculty are actually reviewing the applications for admission as well. And that happens for several reasons. One, it's always good to have two perspectives, but art can also be very subjective. And so we want to make sure that we're getting different perspectives on the, the type of the work that's being submitted. And so once that process concludes, we'll uh, identify the students who have scored the highest and we'll uh, ultimately choose to admit that group. Uh, I will say that if a student is waitlisted and we really try to uh, utilize a very ethical waitlist practice, we don't put a waitlist on an applicant that we don't want to enroll. We, if you're waitlisted, we would be more than happy to admit you. And we look at how many students we've typically needed to go to the waitlist for in order to determine how many students we waitlist. So, you know, I know there are many colleges out there that will uh, unfortunately put tons of students on a waitlist. Um, and I understand that from an enrollment management perspective. Again, just going back to the ethical practice, we really don't put a ton of waitlists on candidates. And we, uh, the ones that we do waitlist, we would be thrilled to have in the class. And then there's the, of course, that challenging part of not being able to offer admission. Um, and, you know, we, it's just unfortunately the challenging part of, uh, like you said, having so many more applicants than spaces available. Thank you so much for that deep insight. We really appreciate hearing all the different things that you consider within your process. And I know it came up, and we know that RISD is, in fact, test optional, like many other schools throughout the country. Can you share the percentage of students that apply and that are ultimately admitted that did not submit their test scores? Absolutely, John. I think it's important to note before I answer that RISD went test optional before COVID. And I know that many colleges went test optional you know, around that time. And then, but we went, we were test optional before, before COVID because in our research, we found that there was no correlation between test scores and a student's academic success at a place like RISD. Couple that with, you know, the, uh, the research about how historically marginalized communities might be disadvantaged through those exams. It made sense for us in, uh, in 2019 to go test optional. At that time, as it was predicted by uh, all of the testing services, we would roughly see, they said we would see roughly 18 to 20% apply test optional. And sure enough, 20% of our applicants apply test optional. <laughs> Fast forward to today, 65% of our applicants to RISD apply test optional. Wow. And, uh, and actually 60% of the students we admit are also were part of that test optional group. Well, that's a tremendous answer. Thank you so much for sharing all of that data. So I just want to repeat that back in 2019, before the pandemic, when you went test optional, it was 20% that submitted without their test scores. Fast forward to today, 65% submitted without test scores. But what's most important is that your last freshman class, 60% of the students that were admitted did not, in fact, submit test scores. Michael, is that correct? That is correct. Very good. I just wanted to share that because a lot of people think that at schools like RISD that are highly academic and very competitive, they seem to think that the test optional movement is a myth. 
And that's definitely a lot of evidence to, to show that it is not. So we appreciate that. And Michael, visiting campus, of course, is a very important part of the college process. So if a student is able to visit, what are the areas that they should absolutely see? And what are some of the questions that they should be asking to help them determine whether or not the Rhode Island School of Design is the right fit for them? That's a great question and one that I could spend all day answering because I love being on campus. <laughs> I love Providence. It was a city that I underestimated tremendously. So if someone is fortunate enough to have the resources to get here and visit campus, you know, if you enroll uh, in a campus tour, you're going to see some of the the landmarks or the locations that I'm going to mention now. But even if you're not on a tour and you happen to be around the RISD area, I highly recommend the Nature Lab, the which is uh, on campus, the Edna Lawrence Nature Lab. It is a living history museum that is an amazing resource for artists, designers, and it's just one of the coolest places. I absolutely love it. It's also uh, RISD is also the only art and design institution to receive a grant from the National Science Foundation that supports the work of the Nature Lab. So highly recommend it. We also have the RISD Museum. It's an international audience that comes there. And as a visitor to campus, you do have free access. Just tell them admission sent you and you'll be able to go in for free. We have over 100,000 works that span antiquity all the way to contemporary pieces. There's a student gallery within there. And it's a great resource for current students because you'll have access to the archives and so much more. Uh, we also have the Fleet Library. And it is just a visually beautiful space. I did reference this earlier in our chat that it is the largest collection in the U.S. Uh, at the collegiate level of work specifically dedicated to art, architecture, design, photography. And it's within a, a converted bank. It's just a beautiful, beautiful space. Uh, if you're looking to be off campus, you just want to get a little flavor, I, I would definitely recommend checking out Thayer Street, which is sort of a student hub of restaurants, uh, little shops. It's a space where you're going to find brown students and RISD students commingling. It's a really great place. There's just a really good energy there. Uh, there's also Canal Walk, which is right downtown. It's uh, home to what we call water fire, which is uh, over the warmer months, they'll light cauldrons of real fire there and they pipe music <laughs> throughout the city. It's beautiful. It's just a really nice, visually stunning you know, walk and it, and it gives you a good sense of the sort of feel of, a, of the historic nature of a place like Providence. And the last thing I would say is if you happen to be in the area for a while, which, you know, might be a luxury because I understand as a, as a parent or as a college student, if you're, or a prospective college student, if you're on the search, you know, you're hitting one college, you're off to the next. But if you, <laughs> you know, uh, but if you find yourself with some downtime and you want to see what really makes Rhode Island so special being the ocean state, take a trip down to Newport, Rhode Island. It is a sailing community. It's a little seaside town. It's got tons of great restaurants. The views are absolutely beautiful. And it's about a 40 minute drive from campus. So highly recommend it. What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to share that we've teamed up with Dormco to make your dorm decorating a lot easier. Why Dormco? They offer quality and durability, affordability, and a wide selection for bedding to storage solutions and everything in between for your dorm room. So if you or anyone you know is looking to decorate your dorm, see the affiliate partnership link in the show notes for Dormco, your one stop for stylish, affordable, and quality dorm essentials. 
Please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast gets a commission. But rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit our listeners. Thank you all and best wishes. Well, we appreciate that. Thank you so much for all the great spots. I'm sure many of the students listening and their families will be visiting. So that's great advice, Michael. I want to get back to the application again. I know how competitive it is. So I was curious, what are some of the things that students do to demonstrate their interest in attending RISD? And do you track such things at all as part of your admissions process? Great question. The idea of demonstrated interest comes up very often. Uh, students will think that the more they engage, meaning the more times they visit, the more time they email or call, the more likely they are to get in. Uh, we do not track demonstrated interest at RISD. And so your ability to get here is you know is wonderful and we want to welcome you and we want you to get uh, the flavor of RISD and and really determine for yourself that it's a good fit for you but ultimately we're not utilizing that in our selection because we want to make it equitable as possible and we know that international students don't have it as easy to get here students uh anywhere might not have the resources to get here and so it's not really something that we're looking at i think where students can really demonstrate interest and stand out in our process is really just by showing us that you are innately a maker. You'd be better served to just keep making, 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 developing your ideas and your art and pushing that further. That to us is what identifies a really great fit for a place like RISD because you will be making two thirds of your curriculum will be in the studio. And we really want students who know that being an artist or designer is really what they want to do. And so we're, we're really trying to identify that. I will go, uh, if, if, if you'll permit me, I just want to talk a little bit sure. more about pre-college programs because there are many pre-college programs out there, including RISD offers a six-week residential program. We also offer online programming as well for high school students. And we often get the question of what are my chances of getting in if I attend those? Are, am I going to be more competitive? And the, the reality is, you know, going back to the equity conversation, you know, not everyone's going to have the ability to participate in those. I was one of those students. I did not attend over the summer. My parents said, you're going to work if you want to have any type of social life. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I know I would never have the ability to do that. Um, where I think the benefit comes in and participating in these programs, because I want to say that they are tremendously valuable, especially for that artist that's maybe not sure that studying art and design at the college level is what they want to do. It's a great way to further develop that, uh, that idea that this is exactly what you want to do, that path. It also can push your ideas further. And it, for the first time, it might be the only time you've ever been surrounded by all artists and designers who share a similar interest and are pushing each other to do their best. So I think there's so much benefit in those programs. But at the end of the day, uh, we're really looking at how has that come together in your portfolio to be competitive? Because we have students that self-study, watch tons of YouTube videos, look at online tutorials as a way of developing new techniques. And those students are just as successful in our process. Well, we appreciate that, Michael. Thank you so much. And I wanted to also ask very simply, what are the different ways a student may apply to RISD, and is there a benefit to applying one way over the other? 
So applicants will have the ability to choose two different rounds, we call them, when they're applying for admission. Um, and now at this point, I'm really specifically just talking about first year admission right out of high school. Um, and so we do offer an early decision program. And for those that aren't familiar, early decision is really you indicating that this institution is your top choice. And if admitted, you will matriculate. You'll withdraw any applications that you may have submitted otherwise, and you'll attend. And so 10% of our total applicant pool come through the early decision round. 90% of our applicants apply through regular decision. And why that is, I think a lot of it has to do with portfolio development. You'll have more time to develop work to then submit in your portfolio. But those students who apply early have known for a while that RISD is their top choice. They've been developing their portfolio and they've been aiming towards that November 1st deadline. And so we admit about 26%. Oh, this past cycle, uh, hot off the press, this past uh, <laughs> class, 26% of our students were admitted. And that represents also similarly about a 20, I think it was like 28% of the total incoming class. And so if you look at, other institutions and the percent that they admit in the early decision round, it's a pretty small number comparatively. It's not a huge number, but it does, again, make up roughly uh, anywhere between 25% to a third of the incoming class. Early action is not a round that we offer at RISD, but just for the sake of clarifying the difference between early decision and early action, early decision, again, as we mentioned, is a binding commitment to attend. So you get in, you submit your deposit, or you confirm your intent to enroll, and then you get to sit back and focus on your senior year. Early action allows you to apply early, get a decision early, but you still often have until that May 1 deposit deadline to make a decision about whether or not you wish to matriculate. Again, we don't offer that at RISD, but just wanted to clarify the other round that we offer of the two that we have at RISD is regular decision. And again, 90% of our applicants will come through the regular decision round. Students will apply around January 15th, and then they'll be notified of their decision in the middle of March. We're targeting a March 16th or 17th decision release date this year. And then students will have until May 1 to ultimately confirm their intent to enroll by submitting that enrollment deposit. I think the benefit of applying early decision is, you know, certainly that you're being considered in a smaller pool of candidates, but I can say very, very uh, confidently that we don't go into our early decision review process to admit a certain percentage of the class. We admit the students who are competitive. That number of admits will change year to year depending on how strong the applicant pool is. So we're not going to dip in quality in any way just to say, all right, let's lock in 25% of our class. The reality is we're going to see 90% of our applicants coming in on the other side who are going to be very strong candidates as well. So our goal is always to identify those that are the best fit. So if you know you want to attend RISD and maybe you wish to apply, you wish you could apply early decision, but you don't feel ready, that's totally fine. Wait till regular decision, take more time on your portfolio, 
And if anybody's concerned about finances, because I think this is also one of the biggest critiques of early decision is that if you commit yourself to attend, but you don't know what your financial aid package is, what does that do for you? And uh, that becomes a problematic situation. We're not in the business of putting anyone in insurmountable debt. And so ultimately, if somebody applies early decision and they work with our student financial services department and they just ultimately decide at the end that it's not financially possible, we will release them from that binding commitment to attend. Understood. And thank you for that tremendous overview. We really appreciate it. And Michael, I know we spent a lot of time talking about the portfolio. Obviously, the college essay is another piece of the overall application. What are some examples of college essays that left an impression on you? And what advice would you share with prospective students in terms of what to think about as they sit down getting ready to write their essays? This is a great topic, John, one that comes up all the time. Uh, it's what we often see in the New York Times. What are the, the, the essays that got me in? Or, you know, everyone stresses about what to write. How do I stand out? And so the first piece of advice that I would give to any applicant is try your best not to overthink it and to emulate what's already been done. This is your open spot, perhaps the number one most influential part of your application where you have the control to tell more of your story. So what part of your story do you want to communicate to a college or university that we're not getting from the rest of your application? It does not have to be a topic that is so unique that, that it stands out for that reason. It doesn't have to be the heartstring story that tells of a, you know, something in your past that's going to move someone, whether that's, you know, in whatever emotion that is trying to evoke. It's really just a space for you to build onto your story. And so try not to overthink it and make sure that you're giving us something that we're not getting in another part of your application. If you'll give me a moment, I can kind of give an example of what I mean by this. And so when someone is applying to a place like RISD, or let's just switch it and say you're playing, applying to a music conservatory school, wherever it might be, these are very specialized institutions. We have specialized programs. Number one, you're applying. And so we know that you are in some way an artist or designer or a musician. And then we go on to look at your transcript and we see that you've been involved and you've gone through the highest level of art offerings that are available at your school. And then we look at your clubs and organizations and we see that you're involved in an art club, you do an after-school program, you teach underserved students in the community painting, and you're doing really remarkable things with art and design. We read a letter of recommendation from a counselor or even an art teacher that says, this is one of the greatest artists that we have in our community and they're so dedicated. Um, and then you take your essay and you write about how art and design is a part of who you are and that you've been drawing ever since you were three. In my opinion, that is a missed opportunity because every other part of that application is telling the story of that applicant as an artist or designer. So you want to be thinking about all those pieces and again, use that to bolster your story. What are you trying to communicate that we're not getting from everything else? So is it that you want to convey something about your leadership 
Is it that you're service oriented or you're very passionate about a certain cause? And maybe that's come out in your art and design, but maybe talk more about where that interest came from and how you are continually motivated by something of that nature. Uh, I'm kind of going off uh, on a bit of a, a ramble here, but I think what, you know, I hope my point is coming across that you want to be strategic in what you share and it does not have to be ultimately, you know, very profound or different. Some of the greatest essays I've read are very simple topics. I'm happy to share one of those if you'd like. And it was actually about a Krispy Kreme donut. <laughs> and, you know, and so this student or applicant loved Krispy Kreme donuts. It was just something they loved. And they always talked about the joy of watching them come down the conveyor belt. And this, and what she wrote about it is that ever so often you would see one that just the shape was off. It was misformed or, you know, or just didn't come out right and would ultimately get discarded in the back. And she asked one of the workers there to, to have that particular donut. And her entire essay was just about how it tasted exactly the same and that <laughs> at the end of the day, like even things that don't look, that don't conform or look, can have a lot of beauty and taste just as good. And it was far more eloquent and uh, articulate than I'm making it sound right now. But it wasn't, uh, in my opinion, it was just a really beautiful way of saying that, you know, sometimes the differences are the same or just as beautiful. And, and so that was a great example of how someone took a topic that, you know, I don't know. It was just a really great essay. It's, I still think about it today. Well, Michael, that was a very thoughtful answer with tremendous advice and great insight. And it talks to, as you said, making sure that each part of the application builds on the next. Don't just repeat what are already in other parts of the essay. A simple story about Krispy Kreme donuts. And I don't know how many years ago you read that essay, but it's still very close to uh, your memory. So I think that's a phenomenal example. And again, thank you for the advice and insight. We really appreciate it. This has been a tremendous conversation, Michael. Unfortunately, it leads us to the last question, which is, what are your top three pieces of advice that you would provide a student and their parents getting ready for the college admissions process? This was another one that I I had to think a lot about, and I, I, I think the three different answers that I give will represent what I truly believe. The, the first advice is just very basic. You'll hear it from everyone. Just stay organized and stay calm. There's, you know, there are many different uh, deadlines to look for. There are state grant programs. There's the FAFSA. You've got in, institutional scholarship forms. There's a lot. And so the best thing that you can do to make sure that you're not getting overwhelmed is just to organize all of that in a way that works for you. And just keep those in mind. I think the other advice that I would give is that there, there is very much a human side to the college admission process that I think is overlooked. We read the articles in the paper. We read the books. We go to seminars on getting into the colleges that you want. And it just starts to seem like there's this robot on the other side that's just accepting applications and sending out decisions. We have at RISD and in every institution of which I've worked over the past 18 years, a dedicated team of admission officers or counselors that are there to help you along the way. 
take advantage of that. We are humans. We all have different perspectives. We want to help. And so never hesitate to just hop on the phone and be like, or even or email and just be like, hey, I'm not really sure what to do here. Is it, would you give me any advice to me about this? Absolutely. We're more than happy to do that. So just remember, there are humans on the other side. And there was actually an article, I can't remember what publication it was, that said uh, that was actually the human side to admission. And I read that and it sat with me. And it was really all about this, that I think people don't realize that we are human on the other side. And we do read essays. We get to know them, especially in an institution like RISD, where we're only admitting so many students. We, we get to know you really well. And we talk about you in committee and are very excited to welcome you to campus. The last, uh, the last bit of advice that I would give you comes from 18 years of working in admission. And I have been so uh, blessed to uh, and privileged to have worked in such a variety of institutions. I've, I was at Brown in their admission office prior to coming to RISD. I've worked at NYU, SBA. I've worked at institutions that are non-degree granting, and I've worked at institutions that offer private two- and four-year college degrees. So I've seen so many different types of institutions and so many different types of prospective students. My advice is try not to be swooned exclusively by a college name. There are so many wonderful colleges and universities out there that are doing remarkable work with remarkable faculty that are going to provide you a wonderful education. Just because a school has a certain ranking or a name doesn't mean that it's the best fit for you. And I think we sometimes that's part of what makes college admission so stressful is that everyone thinks, well, if I, you know, I have to get into this institution or I've failed and that's not true. So be open-minded, think more beyond the name, look at what these colleges are offering and their faculty and their curriculum. And, uh, and I think you'll, you'll be surprised at just how many great colleges and universities are out there. Well, Michael, those are tremendous pieces of advice. Again, I really appreciate your time, your insight, your expertise today. I really hope to have you again. This was fantastic. Thank you so much, Michael. John, again, it's my pleasure. I hope the information that I've shared is, is useful and I will come back anytime. You just let me know. That is awesome. And yes, Michael, the information is more than useful. Really appreciate it. Frankly, when I was applying to college, I wish I had uh, insight the way that you gave today. So again, we really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap. What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to announce that we've teamed up with some fantastic affiliate partners to further enhance your overall college journey. So do you or someone you know need stylish dorm decor, trendy college apparel, or top-notch test prep? Whether it's creating a cozy home away from home, flaunting the latest in college apparel, or securing top-notch test prep help, we've got you covered. Check out our affiliate links in the show notes within each of these categories, which we believe will help you, our listeners. 
please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast does get a small commission. But rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit you, our listeners. So check out the links in the show notes and share with anyone you think may benefit. Thank you all and best wishes.